0: Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing, New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. It's good to be in the Lord's house today and uh, so good to see uh, some faces that haven't been here uh, in a while. Uh, We have Randy and Stephanie back with us. Have them fill out a card a little bit later. Um, But I'm so glad they're out of the hospital. I know they're glad they're out of the hospital as well. It's good to see Darlene here as well. It's good to see Pat and Rosemary. Been praying for them. Uh, Pray for uh, Joanne Shaw and Red. Uh, They're not with us this morning. Uh, They they had to put her dad in the hospital this morning with some low blood sugar. So. Uh, Let's pray for them. I know a lot of people in our church are struggling with different sicknesses and disease and ailments. So I think we're going to start a special support group on Sunday nights for all of us that are struggling with something. And we can all just talk about all of our problems. Uh, But anyway, Philippians chapter number four this morning. Philippians chapter number four. I went through a series on Wednesday night in the book of Philippians uh, last year. um, And it was a great study talking about the abundant life. And We had hit this passage uh, at the uh, middle of December, um, and there was a couple things that I hit at the very end of the message that I really want to focus this entire message on this morning. Uh, We've been talking about thriving, um, and really specifically thriving through certain difficulties. We talked about thriving through stress, and thriving through adversity, and despondency, and last week we talked about thriving through the if not. You know, even though the world might be around us that is troublesome and and difficulty is going on, we might be faced with the fiery furnace. God is still there. He's able to deliver us. But if not, he's still God and we should still serve him. And today I want to look at the message on discontentment. Anyone struggle with discontentment this morning? All right, three of us do. Okay, very good. The rest of you to sit back and listen, and hopefully you'll get something from the message this morning. Uh, but again, as this little mini-series has been the past four or five weeks, uh, I- I've told many people that really it's more for me, and I know many people said, no, it's Pastor, it's for me. Uh, but these are things that I've been dealing with in my own life uh, here recently, and discontentment especially is something that I've been struggling with. It's very easy for me to be content when things are going my way, it's very hard for me to be content when things aren't going my way, and uh, some of my biggest struggles here recently has been uh, the sickness that I've been dealing with, the meningitis. It really has been more deflating and defeating than I've probably even let on. Uh, with some of the headaches that I've been going through, and they seem to come and go. Some days they're fine, some days they're not, and it's very—it's been really kind of put me in a, almost a state of despair and despondency at times. And I pray that you you continue to pray for me, but. Uh, As I look at these messages, it's really what God has been trying to teach me in and through it. So let's go ahead and stand, if you would. Philippians chapter 4. just going to read three verses, very familiar verses in this passage. Verses that we've maybe heard in church before, if we've been in church. Verse number 11, let's go ahead and start. Follow along, if you would. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Now, this is something I'm still trying to learn. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am. It's not talking about a physical state of Texas or wherever. But I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be what? Content. You know, this is one of the greatest things that stands out to me in the life of the Apostle Paul. With everything that he went through, he somehow learned to be content. In jail, out of jail, persecution, struggles, he learned to be content. And it's a great attribute that many of us need to um, um, have in our lives. Verse number 12. I know both. This is very important. I know both. How? How? to be abased, which is basically to be empty, and I know how to abound, which is to be full. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. I, I do thank you for this passage and what you've taught me in it this past week as I've studied it. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me this morning to focus on you and focus on your word. And Lord, we're, we're thankful for the ones that are here this morning. We're thankful for the great report that we had from junior camp this week. And really just a joy hearing these kids sing, and especially in a different language. And it warms my heart even hearing other tongues uh, sing out. And what I mean is other languages that are singing out praises to you. I think sometimes we get in our mind that we're the only ones serving God, we're the only ones doing anything for for the Lord, uh, but that's not true. And it's a a great thing hearing different nations, different tongues, different nationalities singing praises to you. Uh, So Lord, I pray that you help us this morning as we're trying to look at what it means to thrive through our discontentment, that you'd help us to learn what we need to learn and help us to be like Paul to where we can come to a place in our lives where we say, I've learned to be content. In all things, good and bad, Difficulty, non-difficulty, sickness, health, good times, bad times. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the next few minutes. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I want to start with a question this morning. I do this sometimes on Wednesday nights. Don't often do this on Sunday mornings because it can open up a can of worms. But I want you to try to respond a little bit this morning. Don't just shout out. uh, Raise your hand. But where, or let me ask this question. Why do you get so discontented in your life? Now, think about that. I don't need a you know, long, drawn out answer. But what are some of the reasons that you struggle with contentedness? What makes you discontent? Carrie, thank you. Uh, often we think we deserve more than what we have. That's great. Often when we think we deserve more than what we have. That's great. Uh, what else? What are some reasons that cause us to be discontent? Marcus? When it, go your way, <laughs> when, throw the when it doesn't go your way and you want to throw the talent. Anyone want to throw the talent at times? You know, I was there even this week, honestly. We went away to Myrtle Beach for a few days, and it was a great trip, a kind of a renewal, refreshing for my wife and I. And uh, on Monday night, I just had one of those, just this, those moments where I, I told her, I said, I, I'm done. I quit, I'm, just, I'm sick of it, I'm sick of the problems, I'm sick of the, the meningitis, I'm sick of everything, I'm sick of Decatur, I'm sick of Texas, I'm, just, I'm sick of everything. <laughs> and honestly, I, I was just, in a sense, having a little pity party, but I, I, was, I was ready to throw in the towel. And I, and I told her that, and it wasn't me just joking around, as I do so often in being sarcastic, I was just, I was done. Because of some things that I've struggled with, and sometimes when things don't go the way that we plan, that's how we get. But she had to help me with some things, and really, the Lord had to help me with some things as well. And you know what? I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to, to move on and, and continue with my life. It's not that I'm not gonna struggle with it anymore, but that's a very good point. I think sometimes we're ready to throw in the towel. And sometimes many Christians have thrown in the towel too early. What are some other reasons why we get discontented? Amanda? Yeah, you want to do more, but where you're at in your life, when you have a beast in your life, uh, Noah, you can't do a lot. So, yes, uh, exactly. I, he is our bud, for sure. We love him dearly. What else? These are good. Yes, Mr. Darling. Like health, issues. health issues. Yes, that's something that gets a lot of people down very easily, very quickly. What else? These are good. Yes. Comparing yourself to other people. I know no, nobody ever does that except for Stephanie, so we'll have to work on her and try to help her with that, okay? No, we all do that. It's very easy to compare ourselves, right? It's very easy to almost judge a book by its cover. You know, we see someone's life, and man, their life is so great, but their life usually isn't as great as what we think it is or what they perceive it to be. It's very easy to compare. What else? I saw another hand. Yes. Relationship, Relationship problems. Again, no one has that except for Tiffany, so we'll try to help her with that. <laughs> Uh, what else? These are good. Some of you guys are scared to say anything. Marcus, you got another one? Bad ones Do what? When you, loved ones when you see loved ones struggling, yes, we want to try to help them. Yes, John? Family issues. Family issues, family issues, with, kin. Family issues with kin. You have a guy named Kin in your family? No. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, that is a struggle. That is a struggle. And I'm sure nobody has that issue in your family at all. Uh, what else? What else? These are good. Yes, Shelby. Finding- Finances, again. I know I struggle with that greatly uh, when I think there should be more in the bank, and I look at the bank account, and there's nothing there. Or I'm in the negative. That's always a bad thing. Yes, what else? A couple more today. Crickets. All right, Bonnie. Thank you. Unexpected suffering. Unexpected suffering. Yes. Uh, I even kind of mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes things just happen in our lives that we're not expecting. And it just really gets us down and gets us discontented. What else? Alan? You know, have to do I get that. When you get old, you don't have anything to do, but just sit. Yes, when you get to like 35 and older, <laughs> it's just, it's pretty rough. Yes. <laughs> I'm not there yet, but I've, I've seen that in people's lives. You know, there's a lot of reasons that cause discontentedness. You know, we've all gotten what we wanted, only to realize it's not what we wanted, right? And then we were wanting something different. You know, I've told many stories many times of how I've I've gone to stores, I've bought something, I get it home, and I'm like, why did I buy that? That was the dumbest purchase in the world, because I don't even like what I just bought. But then my problem is I never even take it back, so I've got a whole collection of clothes and shoes and everything like that, that I should take them back, but I didn't take back, And then I'm like, well, maybe someday I'll actually like it. And usually it never happens. But uh, we we find that too often is the case. You know, discontentment happens so often in our lives. And really, there are some signs. I want to give you quickly, kind of set the stage of this message this morning. There are five signs that discontentment can drag us down spiritually. The first sign is this, envy. I think he was even mentioned this morning. Envy, almost comparison to other people. Really, this Envy is this it's the inability to rejoice at the, at the success of others. When others have success, it's hard for us to, to be joyful because we want their success. So, one reason that drags us down and gets us discontent is envy. Another reason is this uncontrolled ambitions. Uncontrolled ambitions. Ambitions alone are not inherently bad. But uncontrolled, it's that desire to, to win at all costs, no matter what it takes to get your way or no matter who gets in your way, you're going to do whatever you do and it doesn't really matter who is standing in your way and you don't really care what their feelings are or not. Envy, uncontrolled ambitions. The third thing is this, and this is something many of us struggle with, a critical spirit, a critical spirit. This critical spirit is the tendency to make negative, hurtful, cutting remarks about others. Nothing is ever good enough, and you're going to let people know what you don't like. And I I found myself doing this. You know, someone gives you an opportunity to speak your mind. I'm going to speak it. And I don't really care if it hurts them or not. I'm going to let you know what I don't like. And there you go. I've said my piece. But that critical spirit is what's ruining a lot of families. And that critical spirit is what's ruining a lot of churches because instead of being thankful for what we have and being happy for what we have, we're never happy. We're never grateful. And I've seen it too often in the church. I've seen it too often in my own life. We're always looking for the negative instead of trying to look at the positive. Another thing is this, a complaining spirit. This is making excuses and blaming other people for our problems. Well, it's their fault the way I am the way I am. It's not always the case. It's a refusal to take responsibility. And then a fifth reason for despond- or not despondency, but discontentment that drags us down spiritually is this, an outburst of anger. Many of us struggle with this anger over unmet expectations. We just get mad when people aren't who we think they should be. And we I kind of mentioned this at the end of the message last week. You know, we have conditions on people and when they don't meet up to our standards, we're going to get mad. We're going to angry, you know, discontentment. I even heard this a minute ago, but it's really basically people saying things like I deserve something better than this. And because of this attitude, this person typically tends to drag others around them down. Benjamin Franklin once said, contentment makes a poor man rich. Discontentment makes a rich man poor. Discontentment is the cancer of the soul. It eats away our joy, corrodes our happiness, destroys our outlook on life, and produces a terminal jaundice of the soul so that everything around us looks negative. We cannot be happy because we won't be happy. We cannot be satisfied because we won't be satisfied. And I've seen this attitude and I've seen these five attitudes in our church. I've seen them sitting in the pews. I've seen them serving in ministries. I've seen them standing behind this pulpit. Michael Eaton, he's not here, so I'll mention him. No, I'm just kidding. I've seen it in myself where I've had envy and uncontrolled ambitions and a critical spirit, a complaining spirit, outburst of anger. I've seen those things in my life, and I've seen them in many of your lives as well. We can't be happy. We won't be happy because things aren't going the way that we planned. But can I just remind you that this life is not about you? And that's something that the Lord has really been trying to work hard on me the past several years and specifically the past several months that this life that we're living is not about me, but we are so self-centered thinking it's about me. And I get so frustrated with our own Christianity in America that we think it's all about us, and it's all about our convenience. It's all about what we want. You know, when I was at the beach this week, we had an opportunity to just kind of sit there and relax and refresh. And and really, I I took some opportunity just to read. And the Lord gave me a lot of things this week through my devotions and through some books that I was reading. And I've already got the theme for next year. I know we're like five months out, but I've already got the theme for next year. I've already got a lot of plans and goals for it. And uh, just a little FYI, it's probably gonna stretch you even more than I've already stretched you this year. So that's not the theme, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. But the the thing I'm trying to make and the point I'm trying to make is that I've seen in my own life how easy it is for me to think that this life is all about me. But it's not. You know, God came to save us. He died on the cross to save us of our sins. That's true. But he didn't just come to save us. Now listen to this. He came to save us so we can bring honor and glory to him. But a lot of times we think, well, he came to save me so I can live however I want. No, that's that's not the truth. He came to save us. Yes, that's true, but that's only partially true. He came to save us because it's all about him so we can bring honor and glory to his name so we can make an impact on the world and the question I want to ask this morning what kind of impact are you making on the world what kind of impact are you making on others around you do others know that you're a Christian that you have Christ in your heart do others see that there's something different about you Or do they see envy and uncontrolled ambitions and critical spirit and complaining spirit? Do they see outbursts of anger? If they see all those things, why would they ever want what you have? Paul, out of all people, had the right to have all those things. But as we study his epistles, what I see is a man that somehow learned to rejoice, somehow learned to be content, Even when things weren't going his way, when he was in jail, persecuted, (laughs) shipwrecked, the list could go on and on and on, all the things that happened to him, and yet he still finds joy. How? Because he realized it wasn't about him. The life was about Christ. And again, the Lord has really been trying to hit me upside the head with that, that Chris, it's not about you and even the struggles that you go through. It's not about you. It's to try to help you bring honor and glory to my name. You know, I think of the time that, that we were in the hospital with our child, Logan. I definitely didn't want to be there. I didn't like being there for, for two and a half months, but we tried to use it as best of our ability. Now, we didn't do it a lot of times because we just got an attitude in a sense with God, but we tried to use it as a way to bring him honor and glory, to try to help someone else. And I've realized in my life, When I go out of my way to help someone else, it's hard for me to be despondent, to be stressed out, to let my adversity overcome me, to be loaded down with doubt and guilt, to be discontented because I find joy because I'm doing what God has called me to do. I want to look at a couple things this morning and really drive these points home. Verse number 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, that's very important, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. First thing is this life's circumstances don't dictate God's care. Life's circumstances don't dictate God's care. What I mean is, when circumstances don't go your way, it doesn't mean God doesn't care. He still cares for you, He always cares for you, He's always there. You know, I was thinking about that this morning as I was doing my final review and kind of going over the message as I do in my office before I come in here. You know, when things go difficult in our lives and things go wrong, you think about it in a parent-child relationship. When your child is struggling, it hurts you, right? It breaks your heart. And you wanna do everything you can to to help your child and, and take away that pain. But sometimes in doing that, I'm speaking to myself sometimes in doing that we're doing a disservice to our children because it's through the pain it's through the suffering that we should learn to rely on God that we should learn to trust in God and it should be during those times that we use those opportunities to teach our children who God is and what he's done you know the reason I love our D6 stuff that we're doing on Sunday nights in the discipleship it's about taking every opportunity to teach and train and instruct your families and children. And really, how often, don't answer this out loud, but how often do we take what God has taught us and teach it to our children? It's a sobering thought. How often when God has done something in our life, we're like, hey, Nate, Noah, I know they're a little bit young right now, but hey, let me share what God has done in my life. Hey, let me share how, how God has, has helped me. And, and even in your struggles, it's an opportunity to share with your children because we need to have them understand that life's circumstances don't dictate God's care. That even when things are going on that we don't like, God still cares for us, that he still loves us, that he is still watching over us. Look, under certain circumstances, it's easy for us to be joyful. It's easy for us to find contentment when things are going well, when there's money in the bank, <laughs> But when things aren't going well, it's hard for us to be content. Stress is gonna come. We're gonna face, be faced with adversity. Many of us will live in a state of despondency. But understand this, contentment is a learned state. We blame our restless spirits often on our circumstances. But Paul teaches us here that it is during our circumstances, through our circumstances, that God is using those and designing those to teach us to be content. And that's what parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, family need to do with your children. To teach them, to help them learn that it's in these moments we can be content. Even when the world around us is crashing. Because I know it's been a difficult year for many of us. But really I thought about this. Is any year, does any year go the way we planned it? No. So almost every year is difficult for us. This year is no exception. Now, it's, it's been maybe a little bit more difficult for some people than others, but God is still there, and he's still trying to teach us something, and that's, that's something that he's trying to get across to me, that even when my circumstances are changed, he's still trying to teach me something. I was talking to a friend yesterday on the phone that's really struggling in ministry and, and different things that are going on in his life, and I was just trying to be an encouragement to him and try to, try to help him that you know even if something happens and you're forced to leave or some, some difficulty happens, God still wants to use that in your life to mature you, to grow you. Use that circumstance to help you understand that God is trying to get you to where you need to be. And I've seen that in my life through the meningitis, through the loss of Logan, through the difficulties, through the attacks, through the, uh, the despondency, the stress. I've seen that God is trying to teach me. He's trying to mold me. He's trying to make me in who, into who he wants me to be. How do you know something? You know it by learning it. Take note of verse 11 compared to verse number 12, where Paul says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have. Verse number 12, he says, I know. Verse 12, he says, I am instructing. True contentment is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. G.K. Chesterton said that. True contentment is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. Are we really praying to God when we're going through a difficult situation and circumstance? God, what are you trying to teach me? Or are we, God, remove this? Well, if we're always asking God to remove it, how is he going to teach us? How are we going to learn? How are we going to learn contentment? I think of what God, or what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your care upon him, why? For he careth for you. God cares for his children in good times and bad times. He's always there. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't abandon us, as some people do when things get tough. But we stray from him because we stop trusting him and start trusting in our circumstances. But church, understand that life circumstances do not dictate God's care. Paul didn't let his circumstances control him. Because he knew that contentment wasn't found in his circumstances. Because circumstances change. So if you're always looking for contentment in your circumstances, you're never going to be content because it's always going to change. Just like the weather. You walk outside one day and it's 95 degrees. The next day is 83. It changes. It's windy one day. It's calm the next day. It's, it's a monsoon one day. It's calm the next. It changes. Circumstances changes, but God never changes. His care for us never changes. And Paul knew that contentment didn't lie in what he has, but in whose He was. Again, this is all about our identity. It's nearly impossible to truly live a contented life when you struggle with your identity and knowing who you are. When you're chasing things of this world instead of being content in Christ, get this down, a lack of contentment causes us to look horizontally at what others have so that I'm never satisfied. But true contentment invites me to look vertically at God and to see all that he has given us. John Stott wrote, Contentment is the secret of inward peace. It remembers the stark truth that we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Life, in fact, is a pilgrimage from one moment of nakedness to another. So we should travel light and live simply. Our enemy is not possessions but excess." Our battle cry is not nothing, but enough. We've got enough. Simplicity says if we have food and clothing and shelter, we will be content with that. But are we? Our tendency is to look for things that will make us content rather than putting forth the effort to learn true contentment. You know, contentment takes something that I struggle greatly with, patience, because I don't want to have to endure anything. But I think, of, I think it's in Timothy where it says, endure hardness as a good soldier. Hardness and struggles and difficulties are going to come. Endure them as a good struggle. Now think about this. I think I have it in your notes this morning, but what is the one thing that's separating you from joy? Now that's a difficult question to ask, and there might be many things. It's something you're going to have to answer yourself. Fill in the blank. You can do it now. You can do it later. But think about this. I'll be happy when this happens. Is it when I'm healed? When I'm promoted? When I get the job I want, the car I want, the house I want? When my debt is paid off? When people treat me fairly? But what if your blank never gets filled in? What if your dreams never come true? What if your situations never change? Could you be happy? Well, if not, then you're living a discontented life. Paul was in jail, yet he still learned where contentment was found. Understand this principle. Contentment knows that if we have Jesus, we have enough. Contentment knows that if we have Jesus, we have enough. The first principle this morning, verse number 11 Is that life's circumstances don't dictate God's care. Second thing, quickly, life's changes don't delete God's commands. Life will change. But the commands that God has given us, the promises He has given us in His Word, do not change. Look at verse number 12. I know, what's that next word? Both. That's important. We see this word three times in this verse. I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Have you ever seen someone going through a great difficulty and they seem to excuse themselves from being obedient to God? I have. And that's that honestly, that's one of my biggest struggles. When I see someone else going through a struggle, a difficulty, a change in life. And it's like they've excused themselves from serving God, from being obedient to God. Because of this, I have a right not to serve God, not to obey God. And I found myself in that attitude at times, as I said, even this week, I found myself excusing my behavior, excusing my despondency, excusing my self-pity. And I, I wanted Amanda not to just get on me, but actually to feel sorry for me and help me go along with it. But she wouldn't. And I am thankful for that. But I was trying to excuse myself because I've seen others excuse themselves from serving God, from being obedient to God. So if they can sir- excuse themselves, why can't I excuse myself? Just because life's changed or life changes and things don't go according to your plans, does that give us a right to disregard God's word? No. Again, this is where I start feeling sorry for myself. This is where I have my own breakdowns. And honestly, this the meningitis that I've gone through and I've, I've tried to put on a good front, but it's taken a toll on me. It's affected me greatly when I'm not here that people don't see. This is where I want to throw in the towel and give up because it's not fair that I have to go through this and someone else can basically do whatever they want, live however they want. And it seems like their life is OK. All I'm doing is feeling sorry for myself. All I'm doing is not living a contented life. And realizing that it doesn't matter if I have the headaches the rest of my life, Jesus is enough. He should be enough. And I even tried to think about this and pray about this last night. You know, I preached about the if not last week. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. They said, "I believe God can deliver us from this furnace. We believe that God can do the impossible." But if not, what did they say? We're going to quit serving God. We're going to quit church. We're going to. Ruin our lives with sin. Is that what they said? No. But if not, we're still going to serve God. We're still going to obey God. So I had to pray that prayer last night. God, please take away the headaches. Please take away the problems. Please take away the difficulties. I believe you can. But if not, help me to still serve you. Help me to still obey you. Help me to still trust in you. Help me to still find contentment in you. I, made a, I had a post on Facebook earlier this week. I just want to read it. Many of you already read it. But God has given us everything we need in his word to thrive in our Christian lives. But maybe we're missing out on those growth opportunities because of our unwillingness to fully devote ourselves to him. Full devotion to God means truly submitting to his will and allowing him to take care of our struggles. Too often we're trying to push through to make something happen when we, what we need to do is let go in radical abandonment to God. Coming to the end of ourselves is difficult because it means showing humility and meekness. But remember, it's not about us; it's all about Him. It could be small in your eyes, but God still requires your yes. Even when your yes, it's important—or sorry, even with your yes—it's important to understand. That you're not doing it in your own strength, but through the grace that he supplies when you submit to him. And I have this in my devotion, and I want you to repeat after me quickly. Repeat this phrase. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. I'll say it again. His grace, is His grace is sufficient. That's a promise from God. It's in his word from the Apostle Paul. And three times he asked God to remove the thorn in the flesh in his life. We don't know exactly what it was. We can imagine we have ideas of what it might be, but he had specifically asked God to remove it. And he finally came to the place where he said, You know what? In a sense, but if not, your grace is sufficient. Do we believe that? That's where Paul found joy. Not in his thorn in the flesh, not in his difficulty, but in the fact knowing that God would give him the grace to overcome it. Look, I want to excuse my attitude because of life's changes. All I'm doing is saying that I know what's best for my life and I should be in control. But this life is not about me. And the sooner I learn that, the more joy I'll have in my life. King Saul he had an attitude that he felt he had the right to disobey God. We're not going to read it for the sake of time, but first Samuel 15, 22, through24, write that down. Turn there later. And you'll see Saul basically taking things into his own hands. His circumstances dictated him doing things the way he wanted to do them. There are things in life that I can control, but there are many things I cannot control. Change is imminent. It is certain. But don't focus on the changes you don't like, but rather on the God that controls the change. And that's why many people get tripped up in churches because they're always focused on the change that happens and what the pastor is trying to change. And really, I've talked to a lot of pastors and been in the ministry for a number of years and growing up in the ministry, and I've seen a lot of pastor's hearts that most people don't ever see. They're not trying to change so that they can have their agenda. They're trying to change to mold people into who God wants them to be. But people can't get over the fact that well, they're taking away my comforts. They're taking away what I like. It's not about you. It's all about him. And the sooner we can get that through our thick skulls, the more joy we'll have. The more contentment we'll have. But what do we do? We have a critical spirit. We have a complaining attitude that I don't like this. I don't like that. And I'm going to tell you how much I don't like it. I look at your life. I look in the mirror and I see. Someone that'll never be content. We have this blank up here, and there's your notes. Contentment is connected to all of life. Paul says, I know both how to be abased, how to abound. The word abased means to make low, to bring low, to bring into a humble condition, to reduce to meager circumstances. He knew how to be abased, which means he knew how to live humbly with a little. He knew how to abound, which means to live with plenty. I'd much rather abound than to suffer need. And I'm sure if you're honest, you'd say the same thing. I'd much rather be full than be empty. But the great thing that Paul is instructing us here is this. The Lord is enough in both. The Lord is enough when things are abounding, when things are going your way. And the Lord is enough when things are are abased when things aren't going your way. What gives a man a desire to learn under all circumstances? What causes a man to learn contentment when things abounded and when things were abased? The providence of God. The word providence comes from two words, pro, which means before. And the latter part of the word is where we get the word video, which means to see. So providence means this, to see before God sees the circumstances before they happen, and he is preparing us for the circumstances. Most people in our society are like thermostats and suffer from pseudo-happiness, which is a counterfeit high that quickly evaporates. The hope the next superficial satisfaction will last, but external happiness is like cotton candy. It's sweet for a moment and dissolves an instant later. A person who is happy because they're vacationing in Hawaii is a person who only has days to be happy. But a person who has learned to cultivate deep down contentment will be consistently joyful, whether they're in Hawaii or in Decatur. (laughs) (laughs) Write that down. Most people thirst for what the Apostle Paul had, that enduring contentment. The source of our satisfaction, the source of our contentment, is found in our Heavenly Father. And what we see here is that the source of our contentment is only found in Christ. I want you to say this with me this morning. Jesus is enough. Say that with me. Jesus is enough. Let's say that one more time. Jesus is enough. Now we have to believe that again. We have to believe that Jesus is enough. Even if you have to go in the hospital for weeks, for months, with some sickness, some ailment, even if you lose everything, even if life doesn't treat you fairly, Jesus is enough. Because contentment is not found in your circumstances. It's not found in the changes of life. It's only found in Jesus. And what Paul was saying here in verse 12 and verse 11, where he says, I know both, how to be a base and how to be bound. I, I know how to do everything is what he's saying. What he's saying is that either Jesus is enough or he's not. And for so many people, so many Christians, so many churchgoers, so many Americans, Jesus is not enough. Because they need something else in their life to bring happiness They need something else in their life to bring contentment. But friends, you don't need anything else when you have Jesus, because Jesus is all you need. He is all you'll ever need. Contentment is only found in Christ. Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, this verse is often misquoted and taken out of context. This verse is not implying that if I quote it enough, believe it enough, I can do anything and Anything that I set my mind to. That's not what it's saying here. This verse is in context with what Paul was just saying in verses 11 and 12. He's saying, I can do all things. I can be content in all things because I have Christ. Because Christ is my sufficiency. Christ is the one who gives us the strength to find contentment. The word strengtheneth in verse 13 means to endue with power. Paul says, I can do all. Now, he couldn't do all things. He can only do all things through Christ in doing the power, giving him the power, giving him the strength to find contentment in all things. Can you handle when your kids are rowdy and tearing everything apart? I can't. Michael Eaton definitely can't. Can you handle sickness and pain and discomfort? Can you handle losing a job or all your money if the stock market crashes? Can you handle relationships falling apart? No. But if Christ is your life, if he is your contentment, then you can't handle those things. And here's the application we see. We see the unfailing power of God. God's power is unmatched. It's unlimited. It's unfailing and I think of Job. He believed God could do everything. David put his faith and trust in God. Luke chapter one, verse 37 tells us, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Here's what we need to realize. In all my pleasures, Jesus is better. In all of our suffering, Christ is enough. And here's what contentment is. It's being satisfied with God's sufficiency. If your contentment is in Christ, then you should be able to live anyway abased, with nothing, or abounding. And that's one thing that I'm really going to try to help us focus on next year specifically. I'm not asking us all to just give up everything we have. But most of us really don't have a true focus for Christ because we're more materialistic-driven than Christ-driven. We're more about what we can put in the bank than about souls that are dying in other parts of the world well it's not my job that's why I give my money permissions uh, wasn't the great commission for all Christians to go how will they hear unless someone goes and preaches to them well that's why I pay someone then you don't understand Christianity I don't understand Christianity and I, I've had that prayer in my life God send someone else <laughs> that's wrong thinking How do I expect to make an impact in my world? How do I expect to truly truly thrive in my Christian life if I'm not willing to do what God has called me to do? If I'm not willing to go out of my comfort zone, if I'm not willing to tell someone else about Jesus, if I'm not willing to take the funds that God has given me, the resources that God has given me, and try to invest in someone else? But what are we trying to do? And I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to, to put money in the stock market or uh, an IRA or you know, things like that. But I think so often we're trying to put all of our money, all of our resources, all of our time and making sure that we have a very happy life when millions are dying around the world that have never heard. Has God given you the strength? Has God given you a mouth? Has God given you a voice? Can you do something with it? It might not be going to Africa like Brother Metzler. It might be going across the street. It might be going across town. As I mentioned, even back in March, it might be going to Austin. It might be going somewhere that you never thought possible, but it's saying, God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. I'm willing to take my life and put it in your hands, but I have a business. That's okay. You could use that business to bring honor and glory to him. You can use that business to truly make an impact on the society around you. And souls, what kind of impact are you making with your business? What kind of impact are you making with the money, the resources that God has given you? You know, I've said it before, but many of us have more than we ever need when some people have nothing. And I'm guilty of this because I see some people that are struggling. I'm like, well, it's their own fault. I'm not going to help them. That's not a Christ-like attitude. And it's not just me throwing some money at someone, which, you know, I tried to help someone even, even at the beach that I saw was struggling. I saw him on two different occasions. I gave him money and I gave him a track and tried to witness to him a little bit. But it's more than just that, it's trying to invest in people's lives. I can't just, all right, here, here's your money and I'll go away. Am I taking the time to try to disciple them? Is Jesus really all you need? That's a question I can't answer for you. I wish I could. I want to close with this story I've used it before. The story of Tim Vanderveen from Spring Lake, Michigan. He was a student at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. Tall, broad-shouldered, curly-haired, and a smile as broad as the dawn. In the early 1990s, after graduating from college, he took a job at Johnson Controls scurried up the ladder of success about as quickly as anyone could. On a wind-whipped November afternoon, Tim called his good friend and former professor, Tim Brown. Professor Brown said, hey, Tim, how are you doing? A weak and trembling voice said, I, I'm not doing too good. Professor Brown said, what's wrong? Tim said, I, I'm in the hospital in Grand Rapids. I've got the flu or something. My folks are out of the country. Professor Brown said, I'm going to be in Grand Rapids later today, and maybe I can stop by and see you. Would that be okay? And Tim said, yeah, I'd like that. By the time Professor Brown visited Tim, the doctors had already been there. It wasn't the flu, it was leukemia. And what began with this sickness started a three-year arduous battle with leukemia. After three years, Professor Brown visited Tim at the Spectrum Hospital. As he walked into Tim's room, he saw Tim's mother sitting in the corner crying. Tim was lying on his side. They positioned all the pillows between his skinny little legs his hair wasn't curly anymore. There wasn't enough energy for him to even look at the professor. So Professor Brown got down on one knee and so he could see eyeball to eyeball with Tim. And he said, hey, Tim, there was a long, awkward pause. Professor Brown had been a pastor for over 20 years and he still didn't know what to say. Tim finally broke the silence. He said, I've learned something. Okay, well, tell me what you learned. Tim said, I I learned that life is a a lot, or he said, I've learned that life is not like a VCR. The professor said, I, I don't get it. What do you mean? Tim said, it's, it's not like a VCR because you can't fast forward through the bad parts. After a long pause, the professor is thinking to himself, where does he get this stuff? Then Tim, Tim interrupts the silence again to say this, but I have learned that Jesus Christ is in every frame. And right now, that's just enough for me. can't fast forward to the bad moments of life, but you need to understand that Jesus Christ is in every frame of your life. The richest person is not the one that has the most, but the one who needs the least. In order to thrive, we have to realize that life's circumstances don't dictate God's care. Life's changes don't delete God's commands, and contentment is only found in Christ. You know what? You want to know what the secret to thriving through your discontentment is? It's understanding that Jesus is enough. And if you can't understand that Jesus is enough, then you'll never be content. And you'll always struggle with this. It doesn't matter how much money you have, it won't be enough. It doesn't matter how many toys you have, they won't be enough. It doesn't matter what relationship you have, it won't be enough. Contentment is found as we see the Apostle Paul and study his life By him realizing that Jesus is enough. So is he enough for you?